to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where our reading came from this morning. And we'll be looking at that passage today. And I'm in, indebted to um, Stuart Briscoe for the outline for our message this morning. So let's pray as we come to look at God's word together. Gracious Father, we just thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for songs that have been written which just uh, point our focus and attention towards you. And Lord, wonderful way to together to be able to uh, bring glory to your name is to sing together and to um, be able to draw that attention to you, Lord, as we come together. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Thank you for uh, your revealed word to us that we can uh, uh, know that is... Um, accurate and true and uh, we can hold it dear because it's uh, your word written down by men which records what you want to say to us so that we might live out our lives according to your will and way. Uh, we ask your blessing upon us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well today is New Year's Eve and so this is the, the day that we approach towards the evening when we say Happy New Year. I wonder if you've ever thought about how many seconds in this coming year, 2024, that you'll be unhappy. <laughs> Have you ever thought how much can happen in a second? When you say Happy New Year, you're saying a remarkable thing. It only takes a second for your life to be totally changed or totally ended. In a year full of seconds, anything can happen in any second. Sometimes we map out our year as if everything is under our control and then we can determine what the outcome of our year will be. But if we're going to talk about having a happy new year, there are some things to bear in mind. We're going to look at some of those things today. First thing is that we're not always sure what happiness is. Stuart Briscoe says this, for a lot of people, happiness depends on their happenings. If their happenings don't happen to happen the way they happen to want their happenings to happen, they're unhappy. Some people spend their time organising their happenings to make sure everything happens the way they want it to happen. The assumption they make is this, if they can make everything happen they, the way they want it to happen, then they'll be happy. There are two problems with that though. The first is you can't do it, and even if you could, you'd probably be bored. Alexander the Great got everything happening his way. He conquered everything, and then he sat down to cry because he was so young and there was nothing else to conquer. And then he died at the age of 32. For people who get everything they want, life is seemingly good. They have everything and they don't know what to do with it. Now the Greeks in the first century had a, a word for happiness. It's makarios. And this word describes what they perceived as being the experience of the gods, 
the Greek gods. The Greeks had lots of gods, and the gods were sort of exalted human beings. They had some of the failings of human beings, but they had all the strengths of human beings, and even more. And for Greeks, the idea of the gods was that they had everything made, everything together. And the word makarios found its way into the New Testament, and it's translated blessed or happy. And we've just been singing a song about blessed be the Lord. But Jesus picked up on this word makarios and he said some things that were totally opposite to what the Greeks thought. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 1 to 10. He said, Blessed are they poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus is saying here that happiness or fulfilment or makarios, having everything just wonderful, comes not from having everything. It can come through being poor. It can come through mourning. It can come through hungering, through thirsting. It can come through being persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's exactly the opposite of what we think is the road to happiness. So, Happy New Year. But remember two things. Define happiness correctly. Happiness is not just getting all your happenings to happen the way you happen to want the happenings to happen. Secondly, make certain you're thinking through all the possibilities of this year and what it can hold. You've got to realise that you may not always be able to control them. In fact, that's most of the time. And with that in mind, we read from this passage in Ecclesiastes where Solomon writes and reminds us that there's a time for everything and a season for everything under heaven. Let's reread the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. In the Hebrew, this is poetry. It's one of the poetical books, and this particular passage is, is poetry. There's rhyme, there's rhythm, and there's word time that the, the translators pick up on here in the English translations. There's a rhythm to it that's not accidental. It gives this, the readers a, a feeling of time going on relentlessly. 
Solomon is saying that there is a year full of seconds stretching ahead of us in 2024. When we begin to think of being happy in this new year, we've got to count on two things. This year will be full of inevitable and uncontrollable events. One of the great myths about humanity is that we are in charge. It's the most dangerous myth perpetuated by man's ego. Because nothing could be further from the truth. Think about that as we consider verse 2 of Ecclesiastes 3 where he says, A time to be born and a time to die. Briscoe says these words, Those are the two biggest events of your experience, and both of them are totally outside of your control. We're not masters of our own destiny. You were initiated by birth, and you had nothing to do with it. You'll be terminated by death, and probably you'll have nothing to do with it. In between initiation and termination is perpetuation, and there's very little you can do about that either. End of quote. There's a verse in Job which says, In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In Job 12.10. God holds your breath in his hands. That means that you are alive this morning because God is keeping you breathing. He can shut off your supply of air and your history. God can say, your time is up. And that is it. That's why David the psalmist was careful to say, my times are in your hands. Psalm 31:15. I am alive because God's gracious hand is upon me. Nothing else. He is in charge of my destiny and yours also. So all of life's experiences are inevitable and principally uncontrollable, coming one second at a time. And you are caught in the middle. Let's look at one of those, or one or two of these ideas from Ecclesiastes. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die, but then he also says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. You have this description of monotonous regularity of life as time goes on. And you've got all these anomalies in life. Birth and death couldn't be further apart, and yet they're part and parcel of life. Killing and healing couldn't be further apart, and yet they're part and parcel of life. The Old Testament had rules about capital punishment, but it also had a lot to say about healing. Life as far as the Old Testament days were concerned meant that in some instances, people were executed because of what they'd done. At other times, they had to heal people. That's life. It's full of extremes. And we're seeing that around our world today, aren't we? Where people's lives are being torn away from them through no fault of their own. There's also a time to tear down and a time to build up. Verse 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. 
The scripture tells us that God has given us all things richly to enjoy, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He also says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. People who've got the idea that God is a spoil sport do a great disservice to God. There are things so wrong about us that the honourable thing to do is to weep. We should weep over sin. And we weep and we mourn in grief at times. We need to know when to celebrate and when to weep. Sometimes the things that make you laugh or cry are outside of you and they will come relentlessly and you'll never know from which extreme they'll come. That's part of living in this world. Happy New Year. It only takes a second for irresistible, inevitable circumstances to occur. You've seen that in your life already. You know those experiences where things are going along fine and all of a sudden something happens totally out of your control. And if we're trying to organise these irresistible, inevitable circumstances, if our happiness depends on them happening the way that we want them to happen, we have our work cut out for sure. How on earth are we going to make sure that we, we never mourn and we always dance or we, we never cry or weep but we always laugh? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just make sure that we're always born and never died? Unfortunately, we can't do that. And so the third thing that we see here under Solomon's instruction and poetic rhyme is the reason for burdens is that we might turn to the Lord and learn to honour him. Note what he says in verses 9 and 10. What profit has the worker from that in which he labours? I have seen the God-given tasks with which the sons of men are to be occupied. Now, Solomon has a, a very keen eye on what's going on around him and he, he's got a very deep faith. He combines a sceptical view of life and a deep faith in God together. Probably a, a healthy combination. And as he does this, he says, I've looked at the way people are living and I've looked at the way I've lived my life and there's lots of inevitable, irresistible things that happen to me and to others. And some of these things are really burdensome to, to mankind. What's the nature of the burden? Well, there are things which we cannot regulate. There's things that we cannot control, things which we cannot escape from. And you say, why would God put that burden on us? Because God allows the circumstances of life to help us to recognise that something greater and richer that we have in life than just what is immediate before us. The burden that he places upon us in these things which happen uncontrollably around us is to make us aware that there's something and somebody transcendent above us. Someone who's 
outside of our control, someone who is in control. And in this passage we're told what and who that is. In verse 14 he says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear or revere before him. When people recognise the frailty of their humanity and the limitations of their own abilities, when men and women can, cannot regulate or escape the inevitabilities of life, God is waiting. God is there. And he's saying, how about taking time to look to me? How about recognising that if there's any sense, if there's any rhyme or reason to life, it's because there is a transcendent God who is working in these circumstances for your good and his glory. If nothing transcends the circumstances of life, if this life is all we've got, and if we can only find happiness in manipulating and escaping the irresistible, inevitable circumstances of life that only take a second to come into our lives, we'll wear ourselves out. And that's the trouble with our society. It has forgotten to turn to God for help. We've forgotten that we turn, that we can turn to God and learn to honour him and revere him, as Solomon tells us to do here. We can't handle the immensity and the awesomeness of this life. And this burden we cannot escape or regulate that God allows in our lives. And so many people have realised that they can't handle life, but they're turning to the wrong place for answers. They're looking in the wrong place for advice. They're turning to the wrong things for escape. They're not turning to the one who can save us from our own destruction. Generally speaking, they're not turning to the one who can really help us make sense of life. The one who provides true answers to why we do go through tough times. The reason for our burdens is that we might learn to fear him, Solomon says, to revere him, to honour him, to place our hope in him. As Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, 25 to 26, he says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God has done two things that we see in verse 11. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Here we have the enigma of life, as it were. God allows these things to come into our lives in order that we might turn to him and revere him. And there are two reasons why we would and should turn to him. First one is that God tells us that, that there is beauty in all the things that happen in time. And secondly, he says, God has set eternity in people's hearts. 
when I begin to recognise that God can work in and through and despite all the inevitable and uncontrollable events in life, there's a possibility of this deep sense of peace that we can have by knowing God is in control. It's far removed from the superficial happiness that comes from getting your happenings to happen the way you happen to want your happenings to happen. But if I can learn to honour God and trust him and begin to recognise that he can bring a certain beauty into all the circumstances of life and that there is an eternity beyond this life that through his son he wants us to share with him, then there's hope for a happy new year. I trust the new year will give you opportunity to recognise that whatever the uncontrollable and inevitable realities of life may bring to you, you'll recognise the sovereignty of God who is above all things and who has given you the capability of a sense of awe in knowing who he is. God has given you a sense of something bigger and greater than yourself. He's put eternity in your hearts. He's allowing all these things to come into your life. He won't allow you to escape them or even to regulate them. And you can begin to recognise your own finiteness compared to his infinity. You'll recognise your own limitations and see him as unlimited. And as you learn to honour him, so you take what comes from him. And it only takes a second for things to change for good or for worse in our lives. But as you take it from him, you can then bow humbly in worship and discover the joy and peace that he offers, which is far above and far greater than any superficial happiness that many people propose. And so on that basis, we can say, Happy New Year.